0: Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you download our free Living Truth app. Now here's part 2 of Pastor Michael's teaching in Colossians 3:15 through 21 called God's Rule in Relationships. Have you ever tried just to spend a week being
1: more thankful? It's hard, isn't it? Especially if you've been in a mode of complaining. If you're a complainer and then you try to spend a week being thankful, it is such a challenge. You're like, oh, oh," you got to catch yourself so many times during the day. The verse says, look at the end of the verse. Some of you need to mark this. It just says, be thankful. Be thankful a thankful person. Do you know what an attitude of gratitude starts to change in your own heart? When you start to give God thanks for things and you start going through a list of all the blessings you have, man, it starts to do a a change in your heart. So let the peace of God rule instead of your iron fist. Amen? (laughs) Rather than letting the flesh rule, let God rule. The sense here is let the peace of Christ be an umpire in your heart amidst the conflicts of life. Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, be at peace with how many? All people. Romans 14, 19 says, so let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. There's enough stress and problems in this life. We don't need more. We don't, we don't need to be creating drama when... God calls us to peace. He himself, Ephesians 2.14, is our peace, and we are to be thankful people. Look at verse 16. Here's another thing we need to let happen. Let the word of Christ, verse 16, richly dwell within you. This is how you can let the peace of Christ rule, is you let the word of Christ rule. Notice, there's two verses you need to put together. Let the peace of Christ, mark that, let the word of Christ When the word of Christ is richly dwelling in you, the peace of Christ is bound to come out, right? There is a link between the peace of Christ and the word of Christ. Have you noticed that when you're in your Bible and you're listening to sermons and you're spending time in worship, you react differently than when you're not? And if you haven't been in your Bible lately and you're not taking in the word of God, there's probably a one-to-one correspondence between how you're responding to people and how little the word of God's coming into you. Amen? That's why we need the Bible so desperately. Let the word of Christ richly, the idea here is extravagantly, and let it dwell within you. You could say again, let it be in your heart. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the word of Christ dwell in your heart. Here's what happens. This sounds like technical language, but let's just bring it home. To let it dwell is a Greek word, which means to live in, to be at home with. It has the idea of deep penetration and long contemplation. You might want to write that down if you're a note-taker. Deep penetration and long contemplation. Sometimes when we're reading our Bible, it's like we just read so we can get enough done so we can tell somebody, hey, I read three chapters of my Bible today. You did? What'd you read? I don't know. (laughs) You might want to slow it down a little bit. This is not a race. This is not about telling your friends, hey, I read a book of the Bible today. What'd you read, Jude? Well, there's only one chapter in Jude, so that's not that great of an accomplishment. But here's the thing. When you're chewing on the word, when you're letting it go deep in you and thinking about it and contemplating it, then you're going to be more apt to let it be the the person that you are. As a man thinks, so he what? He is. You can't be a Christian in the practical ways if you don't let Christ's word dwell in you deeply. If you take in everything but Christ's word, then it's gonna be hard for you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Look at verse 16. With all wisdom, we we know what that word means, teaching, teaching, probably has the idea of positive elements of the Christian faith. Admonishing one another, that has to do more with warning each other and making sure we're okay. And notice there's an addition here with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Uh, Many commentators have said, we are getting in verses 15 and 16 a view into the priorities of the early church. The priorities of the early church were the word of Christ and singing songs to God. Because when you start singing to God, it does something to your heart. Some of you are a little bit stiff on the worship. When the music's going on, yeah. can we get this part over with? So we're going to the, get to the Bible teaching. Right? And then for, for me, When I first came into the church, it was awfully strange because they spent like a half an hour singing and I'm like, what is this about? I don't do this at any other part of my life. I don't get together with my friends on the golf course and say, hey, let's sing a tune together. What do you think? Never did that. Then you come into the church and they sing and they don't just sing for five minutes. They sing for a half an hour. Some of you time your entrance into the church, just the tail end of the music, right? Because this whole thing is strange to you. Because you're more worried about what other people think than singing to God. The early church had two primary ways in which the heart connected to God and God permeated the heart. And it's through the word of Christ and through singing. And those are the two things that the devil wants to keep you away from. Because he knows that your heart changes in corporate worship. He knows that when the word of Christ dwells richly within you, you're going to be a different person. You may even start impacting others around you for the kingdom of God. You might even muster up the strength to give someone a Bible tract or say, hey, is there a way I can pray for you? You might end up just being the church in the world. Oh, the devil can't have that. He can't have you having a song in your heart and the word of Christ richly dwelling within you. So he tries to keep you away from these things. But this is what the church does. The record of Christian awakenings during the last 2,000 years shows that whenever the word is of God is recovered, it is received with great joy, which is inevitably ex- expressed in song. The medieval Latin hymns cluster around the fresh days of the monastic movements. The Protestant Reformation brought a rebirth of music to the church. When we think of the Wesleyan revival, for example, we not only think of John Wesley, but his brother Charles, who has given us so many great hymns, the great harvest of souls here in our own country in the late 1960s and 70s brought a revival of scripture singing. When the word of God dwells richly within you, you want to sing with gratitude in your hearts to God. Are you a worshiper? Do you have a song in your heart? Are you excited about singing songs to God? That's who you're singing to, by the way. And when we sing these songs to God, we sometimes feel like when we sing it, it's a little less... Uh, obligatory than when we maybe speak it. So we say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you everything. When you're singing it, it applies the same to God. But I just sang it. It was just a song that I sang. Wait a minute. (laughs) It's still important to God what we say in those songs. Notice that verses 15 and 16 both have the idea of thankfulness. Verse 15 says, be thankful. And then, End of 16 says, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, verse 17, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving, here it is for the third time, giving thanks through him to God the Father. I wonder if Paul heard something about the Colossian church that they weren't a very thankful bunch. I don't know. But three times in these verses, be thankful, be thankful, be thankful. What do you think it takes to be thankful? What do you think the key is? Do you think just some people are more naturally thankful or do you think it's a decision that you have to make every day? I would say it's the latter. When you meet a thankful person, it's a decision that they've made years ago to give thanks for everything in their lives. And whatever you do in word, look at verse 17 or deed, doesn't that cover everything, anything you speak or anything you do, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, here's a practical way to think about this. Whatever you do in the following week, or maybe you should reflect on your last week, could you say, I just did that in the name of Jesus? Sometimes people think when you say the name of Jesus, it's just how you should tag your prayers. So, Lord, I need a new car, and you got to say it this way, in the name of Jesus. Well, that's really not what this verse is talking about. When you use the name of Jesus, you're saying in the authority, or you're saying this is what Jesus would do in this situation. Christian, if that's what you call yourself, the I-A-N at the end means uh, of the order of, or belonging to the party of Christ. So this week, if you fight with your sister, could you say, I did that in the name of Jesus? Or you cut off a person on the freeway, Could you say, in the name of Jesus? How about a dishonest business practice? How about you're not treating your spouse the way you should? Honey, I just wanted you to know, could you say that's in the name of Jesus? How many things should we be doing in the name of Jesus? Uh, Let's take another look, just in case we miss something. Whatever you do in word and deed, do how many things? All in the name of Jesus. Hey, I've got a challenge for you this week, and I'll challenge myself. Everything you do this coming week, ask yourself before you do it could I do this in the name of Jesus? If you could, you're cool. If you can't, you might want to start rethinking how you live. Oh, I know this is in our kitchen. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I know it's hard, but this is the Word of God, right? And it says, this is how we change. Now, verse 18 goes to take it home a little bit farther. It says, and don't get nervous because every group's gonna be uh, addressed here. We're gonna get wives, we're gonna get husbands, we're gonna get children, we're gonna get pets. Just kidding, pets are not mentioned here, but everything else is. The first is wives, verse 18, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now,
0: You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment.
1: Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today.
0: We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. If you could,
1: you're cool. If you can't, you might want to start rethinking how you live. Oh, I know this is in our kitchen. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) I know it's hard, but this is the Word of God, right? And it says, this is how we change. Now, verse 18 goes to take it home a little bit farther. It says, and don't get nervous because every group's gonna be uh, addressed here. We're gonna get wives, we're gonna get husbands, we're gonna get children, we're gonna get pets. Just kidding, pets are not mentioned here, but everything else is. The first is wives, verse 18, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Now, You might want to peek over your husband's Bible. He's probably got this verse highlighted. I'm not sure if he's shown it to you before, but (laughs) wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church. This is not politically popular, but it is true. But the husband, ladies, is not your ultimate head. Jesus is your ultimate head. So what does it mean to submit to your husband? It means you would submit to him as unto the Lord. That is, if he's following the Lord and he's leading the family, then you are to submit to his leadership. The word hupotasso here has military ideas, but in a non-military use for be subject, it's a voluntary, voluntary attitude of giving in. Let me say that one one more time for the ladies. It's a voluntary attitude of giving in. (laughs) I paused there for a reason. Putting oneself under, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. I know for some of you, your husbands following them is a risky venture. I understand. (laughs) But if he is doing his best to lead you towards Christ, follow him. That's your job. You're to submit to his leadership that's fitting, as is fitting in the Lord. The idea is it's proper. It's right. It's the right thing to do. There is an order in the family, and the husband is the head. He's not the ultimate head. Christ is the ultimate head. And here's the qualification. If your husband tells you to sin, then you don't follow him. Because you have a greater head, and his name is Jesus, right? If your husband's leading you off the cliff, I would not follow him off the cliff. But if he's doing his best, ladies, I'm going to give you an insight about men. Men are very simple creatures, but one of the greatest things that you can do for a man is to celebrate his leadership and encourage it. If you discourage his leadership, he will shut down. I'm just giving you the facts. But if you encourage his leadership and you say, say something like this on Father's Day, your, your father, say it to the children and the grandchildren. He's such a great leader. Look at how he flips those burgers. He's just awesome. Oh, he'll feel like he could conquer the world. You'll put an S Super Dad on his chest. It'll be awesome. But if you don't encourage his leadership and you challenge him at every turn, there's many guys I've talked to over the years, and they gave up. This is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, verse 19, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. I'm going to say something very real. I think we all realize it. Men have a difficult time understanding ladies. Can I get a witness? Anybody out there? All right. Here's why. Just so you ladies know, you confuse us a little bit. And and this is just wiring stuff, so don't get mad at me. <laughs> if you're gonna send emails, Pastor John Nipper at LivingTruthCorona.org. Is he in here? <laughs> See, you're emotional creatures. Okay? And I'll just give you an insight into men. We don't always get your emotional stuff. We just don't. But a man who is growing in his faith. And his love for his wife, the Greek word for love here is agapeo. It's not if you feel like it. It's you are called to love your wife. The parallel text is Ephesians 5. You're to love her as Christ, what? Loves the church. You don't have to get everything. You just need to love her. So if she needs to cry, just give her a shoulder. If she needs to vent, give her an ear. Because that is what you're called to do, gentlemen. That's what love is. Love is not easy Love, love that is easy is not really love at all, is it? Jesus said, it's easy to love those who love you. That's what everybody does. But when you love people who are challenging and difficult, even maybe your spouse this morning, and, and I'm being serious, there's some marriages that are in trouble. I'm not painting with a broad brush, but I'm saying this, there's marriages in the Christian church that are in trouble. And they need healing. Husbands, love, agapeo, your wives. And notice verse 19, don't be embittered against them. Here's the Greek word here. It means don't be harsh with them. If you have an NIV, it says don't be harsh with them. Don't be embittered. Could be translated stop being bitter or do not have the habit of being bitter. There's a story told about a pastor. This is not me, just so I can qualify the story. And he... He went home one day and his wife, he he treated his wife very poorly and his wife said, if you would only treat me like those in the congregation, I'd feel a lot better about things. You're nice to everybody in the church, but the moment we go home, you're a rascal towards me. You're embittered against me. Well, we're called not to treat our wives harshly. One writer says, this speaks of a man who is domineering and harsh." Paul tells husbands not to call their wives honey and then act like vinegar. Oh, I love you, honey, I love you, honey, but then she feels like she's your doormat. That shouldn't be the case, right? If we are going to be harsh with our wives, and sometimes men become impatient with women, I'm being real, because there's differences in emotional needs and communication. This is why we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, so that we can love well. This is why, ladies, in order to submit to your husband, when he may frustrate you, you need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you submit to his leadership and he's loving you as Christ loved the church, there's a beautiful symmetry in marriage. But when one thing is lacking, when a husband's being harsh with his wife or a wife can't submit to his uh, leadership, it's not a good combination. D.L. Moody said, if I wanted to find out whether a man was a Christian, I wouldn't ask his pastor, I would ask his wife. If a man doesn't treat his wife right, I don't want to hear him talk about Christianity. What is the use of his talking about salvation for the next life if he has no salvation for this one? Close quote. I know, but Paul's bringing it home. Now, I ask that today be a family service because of verse 20, and all you parents will be grateful. Children, we don't want to leave you out. Children, be obedient to your parents. What's it say? In all things... For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Now, everybody just turn over to Ephesians, which is just a few pages back. Ephesians 5. As we did the introduction to Colossians, we talked about how there's many parallels between Ephesians and Colossians. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, Ephesians 6.2, which is the first commandment with a promise. It's from the 10 commandments. That it may, may, may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we have a foundation that leads into family life in both Ephesians and Colossians that I want you to see. It says, "Let the word of Christ richly dwell. let the peace of Christ, let the word of Christ richly dwell." Then it goes into family relationships. Everybody remember that? Colossians 3:15 and 16. Take a look at Ephesians 5:18. It says this: "Don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, it's a waste, but be filled with the spirit. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell with within you. Colossians 3.16, you might want to write that in your margin. Here it says, be filled with the spirit. Notice the symmetry, the similarities. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. And then it says, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, the husband is the head of the wife, as we talked about. Skip down to verse 25. Husbands, love your wife; wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. And then skip down to verse 33. Ephesians five thirty-three. Nevertheless, let each individual among you also love his own wife, even as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respect her husband. How many of you have heard of the book Love and Respect? Raise up your hand. Okay, just... Maybe about 20% of you. The book Love and Respect was written based upon Ephesians 5.33, and it says this. This is the essence of the book. It says that Ephesians 5.33 identifies the greatest needs of men and women. One of the greatest needs of a man is respect. Can I get a witness, brothers? One of the greatest needs of a woman, or the top need, I would say, is love. Patient love. Security. It doesn't mean that a woman doesn't want respect. Of course she does. It doesn't mean that a man doesn't want love. Of course he does. But in terms of the major thrust of how we are wired, men long for respect and women long for love.
0: You've been listening to God's Rule in Relationships, Part 2 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Colossians 3, 15-21. And don't forget, if you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on the Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to learn more about Walk in Truth, our church, and the events and studies we have going on, then download our free Living Truth app in your app store. The Living Truth app is the one with the red logo with the pillars. Now, here's Pastor Michael.
1: Well, maybe you would say something like this. You know, I want to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and his authority and for his glory, but sometimes I just mess up. You know, I'm I'm at work. I'm trying to be a good witness, and I mess up. I'm I'm you know uh, in a in a context with family, and I mess up, or with my kids, and I'm not being a very good representative. What do I do now? Will people be looking down on Jesus? Well, I think that that's always possible if we you know are blowing it big time. But let's let's face it, our imperfections as a human doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worth following. And sometimes, you know, if you've made a mistake in front of a coworker or a friend or your child, maybe honesty, <laughs> what a concept. Maybe just saying, "Hey, you know what? I fall short sometimes. This is my goal. You know, I want to I want to glorify Jesus, but sometimes I fall short." And maybe right there is an opportunity to talk about grace. talk about how we all miss the mark, but God's grace is there for us. And if you're feeling a little beat up these days, you know, like I'm not hitting the mark and what do I do now? Don't give up because God doesn't give up on you. Keep reading your Bible, keep staying in prayer and fellowship, keep walking with the Lord because he is changing you from one degree of glory to another, a little bit more into the image of Jesus Christ. And, um, He who began that good work in you, he's going to finish it to the day of Christ. Now, we are going to do a final part in God's rule in relationships tomorrow, and we will see you right here. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Pray for us. We appreciate it. We'll catch you soon.
0: And join us tomorrow for part three of Pastor Michael Lance's teaching in Colossians 3, 15 through 21, called God's Rule in Relationships. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.